from LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. I'm your host, Ryan Dietrich. Earnings, earnings, and more earnings. Uh, This is where we broaden out and get beyond the financials. So I'm really interested in hearing what companies have to say about their outlooks. Uh, Certainly, we would expect mostly good news for companies to mostly manage these cost pressures uh, pretty well and give pretty optimistic um, near-term outlooks. But beyond that, I mean, the economic calendar, it's pretty quiet. Some some housing data, manufacturing surveys at the end of the week, the sort of secondary manufacturing surveys might be of interest, but generally it's about uh, companies' bottom lines this week. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the LPL Market Signals podcast. Ryan Dietrich here, and as always, Jeff Bookbinder. Jeff, I was amazed when I was reading the news over the weekend, and I don't think I would like this, but it's two things that I, I think most of us like. It's ice cream and macaroni cheese. Apparently, they actually make this, and it's sold out. I think Kraft makes it, like their names on it. Uh, it's sold out in like mere minutes on the magical internet. I don't know mac and cheese and ice cream. What's your what's your take? Mm. Yeah, I uh, I don't like it. I, I just don't think those two things I should know. go together. Although That's I right. bet my kids would would dive right in, and uh, you know maybe they would like it. It's 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 interesting. Very interesting combination. Yeah. You know, and I didn't think I'd go this route, but you, know, you go to like a nice restaurant, right? Like a nice high-end steakhouse. They always have like that lobster mac and cheese, right? And it's really expensive. You're like, man, lobster. I like lobster, mac and cheese. I like mac and cheese. But I'll tell you, I've never liked that combination either. So maybe I'm a purist. I just want pure old-fashioned mac and cheese with a bunch of cheese in there. Don't throw anything else in there. But anyway, I just thought that was an interesting way to start the podcast off. And also, Jeff, you don't know this was coming. Last week was your 18th anniversary at LPL. Yeah, we've got a funny picture. Thank you to Gage and uh, Tristan who put this together on the YouTube channel. Funny chart of, well, not a chart, funny picture. What do we have there? It's happy anniversary, Jeff, with a nice cake in front of him. And you look very, very happy. And almost like balloons. It looked like almost like Mickey Mouse over there. So 18 years. I don't even know where we want to go with this. Um, we talked a little bit about your career. I mean, what, what do you think? In 18 years, what's the biggest change from what you've seen in the industry or LPL? Wow, the biggest change. Uh, I guess, uh, well, a, a couple, certainly. We, we didn't really know what an ETF was uh, when I <laughs> wow. started. Maybe that's one change. When we started, you know, well, I didn't start with the origin of the research department. That was about 10 years before I got here, mm-hmm. uh, give or take. But um, individual equities were a much bigger thing yeah. uh, back then. And actually, we at LPL Research covered individual equities way back then. We moved away from it. For a variety of reasons, but I'd say the, you know, there's a little less emphasis on individual stocks um, now maybe than there there was in uh, the early 2000s. Certainly coming out of the uh, the tech bubble. Wow, that was interesting. I remember when I got the bug. I've said this story before. 1999, Xavier University in Cincinnati. Stock market's going up. My dad gave me some play money. I remember just making a bunch of money. It was easy. You watch CNBC. They mentioned like Sycamore Networks or Juniper Networks or Lucent. All these companies don't even exist anymore. You'd buy it. It'd go up a couple hundred bucks and you'd sell it. It was the easiest thing in the world. I remember cutting classes like, why am I going to go to theology class? I'll just go make a couple hundred bucks. And then like any um, novice, I was on margin out the wazoo. Had no idea what margin was. I'm just buying everything I could, right? I realized very quickly that leverage works both ways and things do not go up forever. But then I then a light bulb went off when I realized because I lost everything. I mean, I got destroyed. I sent all the internet names that dropped 99%. And um, I, I was I was just hooked when I realized, oh my goodness, 
I could have made money on the way down. Like you can short something, you can buy puts, or there's something called like value stocks, which actually went up in 2000, 2001, 2002, in the midst of a horrible three-year, terrible uh, bear market. So I just was hooked after I kind of realized all those things. So that's kind of, I mean, it's one thing that hasn't changed, right? <laughs> there's always going to be stocks that go up a lot. There's going to be crowds that chase them. They're going to get burned on the way down. But sometimes those um, lessons, even though they're expensive, they're sometimes necessary. So anyway, with that, Jeff, uh, this week on the podcast, we're going to talk about earnings season. I know we touched on it last week, but we're going to dive a little bit more in because last week on the podcast, if you had a chance to listen to it, we laid out our mid-year outlook, which we just released, I guess, a week ago now. Um, so we'll talk a little bit more about earnings. We also are going to take a look at um, Jerome Powell, went to Washington last week, take a look at kind of what he had to say. Maybe he didn't have anything new to say, but part two to that is inflation has continued. It's been hot, right? And inflation actually came out hotter than expected last week. So we're going to talk about that. And then we'll kind of finish things up with a little bit of an economic roundup. We'll see how much time there is. I think these first two are going to take up most of the time. So Jeff, I probably talk more than a much, more than a much. That's not, that doesn't even make any sense, but Neil, leave that. This is, this is live. Sometimes we, we don't want to edit everything. Uh, we'll just leave that. But earning season's upon us. It seems like we're off to a really good start so far. Just take that baton, Jeff, and tell us about earning season and what we expect from LP, at LPL Research this year, or this season, I should say. Yeah, uh, great start, no doubt. In fact, uh, you know, you could probably change the caption on this chart from may exceed 70 percent to may exceed 80 we could potentially wow. get to 80 percent based on how strong um results have been thus far we've already generated about six points of upside uh so tracking to about 70 71 percent already and remember we're, we're barely 10 percent done uh after you factor in the companies that have reported already this week so there is a lot more to go the, um, the beat rates are really good, 85, 86% for both um, earnings and revenues, the percentage of companies beating. And then you've got, um, you know, that upside that I mentioned. The financials have, um, you know, certainly been the stars of the show thus far. They've represented the biggest chunk of results. Uh, and there certainly the numbers have been really good. The, um, the upside surprise on average has been well over 20%. Last quarter, we did over 30% upside on average for financial companies. So, you know, last quarter, you know, we, we ran out of superlatives. It was stunning. Uh, frankly, just, just hard to believe how much upside companies generated. So just to be even remotely close to that amount of upside uh, from financials this quarter versus last quarter is, is, is pretty impressive. So, you know, we thought um, before results started coming in that we could get 10 points of upside and, and you know, maybe be in the mid seventies Based on what I've seen so far, um, maybe even 80 is within the realm of possibility. Very, very interesting. And, you know, that's what we talked about last time. I mean, last time, I believe at the start of earnings season, we were talking 23, 24% year of year earnings growth in the fourth, fourth quarter came in up over 50 when all was said and done. And we've seen this trend a couple of times. I mean, Jeff, that, that's, that's a good point. So fourth quarter earnings come in way above expectations. You know, we're starting to get toward the end of, you know, when the uncertainty should be. I mean, the economy is opening up. We understand what's going on. How how can analysts still be this far off? I mean, let's say they're 10% off this time. I mean, they were off a ton last time, and we didn't expect that. How, how can they be that far off, you think, this this far into the um, recovery? Well, I mean, so this is really now the, the fifth quarter of huge right. upside surprises, right? So, um, uh, yeah, you would think that that maybe uh, they would sort of play all their cards. But um, 
there's still uncertainty out there. I mean, this Delta variant is the new wave of uncertainty, right? And so maybe there will be some targeted uh, restrictions in the coming months. We, we hope not, but that's certainly a possibility. So there's an excuse there for companies to be conservative and hold stuff back. So, you know, and then the prior few quarters, it was clearly um, a situation where companies wanted to be conservative, uh, hold a little bit back uh, and uh, wait and see how things uh, play out. So it's it's not as much analysts being wrong uh, as it is companies giving you know conservative commentary during the quarter to try to keep those expectations in check. So even if they run into challenges, and remember, it's not just you know COVID and Delta variant; it's also these supply shortages, mm-hmm. right? And and supply chain disruptions. And you know, I'm a little older than you, Ryan. I don't remember things being out of stock anymore in my entire life, frankly, right. I should ask my parents if they remember, well, actually, you know, the gas lines in the seventies, but um, certainly for traditional goods, I, I just can't recall so many shortages of, of different products. So this is just a challenging environment for corporations and they want to give um, conservative guidance as much as possible. Well, that all makes sense. And let's not forget that when we had the colonial um, pipeline hack, at least down here in the Charlotte area, we had some major gas lines. I know it's not quite the same, but I remember driving to work one day and saw all this traffic and realized it was just one lane. And I keep driving, I keep driving, I keep driving. It's a lane. It's because everyone's in line like a half mile to turn right to get gas. And that fortunately was only a couple of days. But also, I know a lot of people enjoy, for some reason, you the listeners enjoy my pain. So here's another painful story, apparently. So I mentioned I didn't have ice for about six months because the parts for my ice machine just took forever to get and eventually got them. And I went on YouTube all by myself and figured out how to put it together because I just was done waiting on people to do it for me. And that worked out okay. I did not electrocute myself or anything. But I've got a hot tub with a cover that's about three and a half years old, approximately. And once hot tub cover, especially down here, with so much sun, it's always 90 degrees, it's hot. Um, they start to crack and they'll leak a little bit. So it rains and you get a little, little bit of water in your hot tub. You don't like that. Now, I also know hot co- covers like $500. So I'm in really no hurry to order a new one. But uh, just uh, Friday, I think yeah, last week, Jeff, I call a couple hot tub places, finally get a hold of a place that has the brand that I need. Apparently, the cover that I need will take anywhere between 16 and 22 weeks to get. And it's straight from Watkins. It's this company that makes hot tubs and stuff. And they read the disclaimer. And Watkins said the material needed in these hot tub covers, you just can't get. It is just just nonstop you have to wait for. Um, so apparently, every time it rains now, I'm going to have more water in my hot tub. So, you know, first world problems, I'm fully aware. Uh, but still, just, just really aggravating. Like, you know, when's the last time you couldn't buy a hot tub cover? You got to wait. Pretty much till, uh, who knows? Is that the playoffs, the NFL? Twenty-two weeks from now, I don't know. That's, that's a long time from now. So, anyway, now also, Jeff, um, let's move forward on 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 that. Um, I, we are showing on the YouTube channel now. I think you kind of touched on this earnings season, the unprecedented increase in estimates. Uh, you want to build a little bit on that? I think you kind of already did, but maybe a tad more. Yeah. So one of the things we look at to try to give us an indication of how much upside uh, earnings will. Um, will be able to deliver is by looking at what happens to estimates during the quarter. This is essentially companies giving guidance. And so we actually saw the biggest increase in quarterly estimates during Q2 that, that FactSet has ever recorded. You know, FactSet aggregates earnings data. They've been tracking these statistics for somewhere around 15 to 20 years. Uh, and so at no point have we seen a more than 7.3% increase in estimates. So when you have that um, powerful of a trend, it typically leads to uh, to upside. So that's, I mean, we saw last quarter upside 
you know, the massive upside followed about a six and a half percent increase in estimates during the first quarter. Um, so we expect, you know, generally a repeat of what we saw last quarter, not quite the same amount of upside because, you know, again, analysts are catching up some, mm -hmm. but uh, maybe, uh, maybe 15 percentage points of upside is actually a possibility. Amazing. So, yeah, so it's up 7.3% is what we've seen the upside uh, so far this quarter. And according to my notes, uh, usually that's down about 5% on average. So normally you get a little bit of a decrease, but obviously the last couple of quarters, anything but normal, anything but average, and we the opposite. So Jeff, you know, maybe to wrap up earnings season, we expect once again, very solid earnings. Obviously earnings drive long-term stock gains. Our view is these historically strong earnings we're seeing are in, in essence justifying, you know, kind of stocks at very high multiples here. But if you take, uh, as we say, peel back the onion, you know, there's 11 S&P 500 sectors. Tell me a little bit about what sectors should do well, maybe who might lag a little bit. You know, talk to me about that a little bit. Oh, it's, it's definitely the reopening sectors, right? So a big chunk of consumer discretionary is, you know, these the, the areas that were hit hardest during the pandemic. So hardline retailers, you know, travel, leisure, hospitality, those areas, certainly. Uh, industrials, right? The, some of the most economically sensitive companies Certainly when the economy went on lockdown, uh, it's a very challenging environment for industrials. So you're gonna see massive, more than a doubling of, of earnings in that sector. And then the natural resources sectors too. Um, energy actually lost money last year in the, in the second quarter of 2020. That was the uh, quarter when oil prices in the futures market went negative. So um, going from a loss to a gain, certainly big change there, big improvement. And then materials, uh, the um, that sector is expected to see a doubling, more than a doubling uh, of earnings. So we're seeing really strong earnings gains for the sectors that were hit hardest in the pandemic and are now benefiting most uh, from uh, the recovery. Oh, very, very good stuff. So this week's weekly market commentary, um, you can you can check it out on LPL.com. Scroll down just a little bit right there. It says weekly market commentary was Jeff's earnings season preview, which again, we'll talk a lot about earnings over the next several weeks or so. Uh, but so far it's early, but it's also been very strong. Now, I don't know, Jeff, if you hear, so you and I are recording this, we'll call it 1030 or so on Tuesday. My stomach is growling. I don't know if people heard or knew or not. I was on, um, doesn't really matter. I was on Fox Business pretty early this morning. So I got up earlier than normal. And I think, um, listening to my stomach, if you hear it growling, you know why. I got up earlier than normal, and my body thinks it's, uh, I, think, I think it's lunchtime, to be honest here. Um, so anyway. Get yourself some mac and cheese ice cream, Ryan, to get you through. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's, yeah. Although, like we said, I, I, I they claimed it was sold out in like an hour or two. And everyone was on Twitter saying, oh, they're sold out, they're sold out. Then Kraft came out and said, no, no, we're not sold out. That was like the first batch or something. So, yeah, it's, it's out there. But speaking of like sweets and treats, I guess we'll do a little update here. Um, we'll do a Jerome Powell goes to Washington here in a second, but we'll do Ryan goes to the movies. I went on Friday late afternoon, I guess it was, had some sweets, had Nestle. What, you know what, Jeff? So I'm talking about movies. I saw Space Jam. What's your favorite um, movie, you know, assuming we ever go back to movies, and I did. What's your favorite movie um, suite, you know, candy at the movie uh, when you watch a movie? What do you like to dig into? Yeah, I'm a big Kit Kat fan. So I'll, if I can get Kit Kat and popcorn, uh, I'm, I'm happy. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I've never been a pop. I was kind of a germaphobe before the pandemic, to be honest. I never liked popcorn because everybody's touching it. You know, I just always thought that was kind of gross, even as a little kid. But I do like Nestle Crunch. Nestle Crunch is always my my favorite candy bar. And all of a sudden, the movie theaters now, it's like Nestle Crunch. It's not the actual candy bar. It's like little, little little chunks of it. I don't know how to explain it. It was still good. It was mm -hmm. Nestle Crunch. That's what I had. But it didn't. It, it wasn't total... Um, 
nostalgic because it wasn't a Nestle Crunch bar. But still, I saw Space Jam with uh, my boys and daughter. Um, and I think we talked a week ago, maybe would I take a nap? Yes, I absolutely <laughs> fell asleep for a big part of Space Jam. It was fine. You know, I've seen the, the, you've seen the reviews. Yeah, yeah, it's cheesy, you know, and it, you know, whatever. Um, but it, it was good. And there's one really funny scene at halftime. They're down a thousand points. I will not give it away because it, it was really funny, though, like like legit funny. Um, um, belly laugh. But but the overall, my, my boys liked it. My daughter played on her phone a little bit during it. I will say it reminded me why I don't like movies. So people in front of us standing up, kids running around. I was like, oh, my goodness, I'd rather just watch this from home, which brings me to this. Apparently, it came out on HBO Max at the exact same time. I've got HBO Max. I never use it. Apparently, I just go on my phone and right there, Space Jam. So I spent like $35 to see the movie with all the another $30 on all the junk we bought. And I could have just watched it from home. But I did actually watch some of the parts I fell asleep on um, right on my phone uh, with my HBO Max. But it was a good movie. So officially back uh, back to the movies. Jeff, you you haven't seen a movie yet. You think you're going to go back to one anytime soon? Or do you even... I, I stopped going to movies when I had kids, to be honest. But um, we made this one. What's your movie experience like? Yeah, uh, my my kids don't really have a lot of interest, so you know maybe uh, I'll I'll see one uh, with the wife in the fall. But yeah, we're not really in a big hurry to uh, get back into a theater, especially a crowded one at this point. Yeah, well, the one we did it was nice. You pick your seats, you get the nice seats. I lean back, you know exactly where you are. There's no one really around, but but nonetheless, I'd rather watch from home too. I <laughs> got a nice speaker and surround sound at home. But anyway, let's move forward. So Ryan went to the movies. Now we're going to talk about Mr. Powell goes to Washington. Uh, last week, Jeff Jerome Powell went to Washington, uh, the semi-annual, I don't know, grilling, if you will, <laughs> by Congress <laughs> is what I'm going to call that. Uh, you know, it's almost old news at this point. It doesn't seem like he said anything new. Markets kind of took what he had to say in stride. We're going to talk about inflation next, which seemed to rock the boat more with a couple days to think about it. What was your takeaway with his uh, showing in Washington last week, Jeff? Yeah, he's sticking to a story. I mean, there's just, just no doubt. I mean, we, we've been sort of uh, analyzing his personality now for the past several months, you know, trying to uh, answer the question, will he be swayed, right, by some of this data? Uh, and now he admitted that he's, you know, we're seeing more inflation than he expected. Uh, certainly he's very transparent and, and I think generally uh, a straight shooter, calls it like he sees it. So, you know, we've got generally the same story. So maybe, you know, maybe you're a little bit concerned that he could pull up his timetable if we see a string of several more months of hot inflation data. You know, the market still seems to be operating under the assumption that, you know, maybe December, January, we'll see tapering. Um, I'd still favor that, but um, it's certainly possible that, um, you know, this inflation proves to be a little bit stickier. And, and we know there's a segment of uh, Federal Reserve officials that, uh, you know, think waiting until early next year to taper is is too late. Yeah, by the way, speaking of early next year, you know, his term is up. I believe it's in February, right? And then now we're starting to see some talk. Will he be reappointed? Will he not be reappointed? Um, you know, I, I don't know if we have a strong, too, super strong feeling there, but I think, uh, you know, he's done a fairly, fairly good job and, and we'll just continue to follow that. Obviously, you still have Kaplan and Bullard who are still out there. Those They're saying then to taper soon. They're a little more hawkish. They're also non-voting members currently. So I do find it interesting that the non-voting members seem to be the ones out in the media making a little more noise, whatever whatever that's worth. Um, also, Jason um, Jason Trinneret at Strategus had a note last week I thought was 
amazing. I didn't realize this. He said there's been no dissents among Fed governors in FOMC decisions since 2005. So you see him out in the media, they kind of say one thing, but apparently when you actually vote on what the Fed's officially going to do, at least since 2005, every FOMC, there's been no dissents. I think the what the market is, I don't know, we're always worried about something, right? Maybe what the market's maybe worried about is things are, you know, there's some two different uh, groups coming in here with the inflation data. So could there finally officially be um, a dissent? Hey, we'll, we'll, we'll see. But that kind of brings part two of this conversation, Jeff, and that is inflation. We saw some big jumps in inflation. Let me make sure I get my... Notes in front of me because there was a lot to a uh, lot to take a look at. Uh, June CPI was up 5.4 percent, highest since August 2008. Month over month, also was up much higher than expected. Uh, core up four and a half percent. That's the highest since wow November 1991. Again, that's year over year up four and a half percent. Used cars once again uh, were up over ten and a half percent, one of the highest ever. That's a big chunk of it. And again, if you look under the surface, things like you know flights and used cars and new cars, um, hotels, rental cars, those categories once again made up the majority of the jump. Those feel like reopenings. I think this is exactly, I think I'm having deja vu. This is exactly what you and I said a month ago. Um, so it feels like the reopening is kind of what's causing this jump. Yeah, I think this is all, um, almost all about the reopening. Um, you know, we got to watch rents, you know, in the CPI, the home equivalent rent uh, is is a big chunk, uh, over a third, uh, I believe at this stage. That was pretty calm, but slight increase. Um, but but generally pretty calm. So you know this is why it's interesting looking at the sticky inflation data. Um, I think it's the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta that puts that out uh, versus the regular um, inflation. And we certainly see the headline uh, much much higher than sticky. I think the last month's sticky number was still um, below three percent. So as long as we you know are below three percent on what looks like sustained. Inflation. I think we're in pretty good shape, and the market will continue to believe that this uh, inflation surge is is temporary. Uh, and I think that's part of the reason. There's a, lo- a lot of reasons why yields are down, um, but um, certainly the market getting more comfortable with that transitory inflation story is one of them. Yeah, I mean, yields surprisingly going lower. Gold, which we've always heard was an inflation hedge, is. It's just kind of every time I look flirting with, you know, under 1900 or so, it's hasn't really broken out. So those are interesting. I will say, uh, so I'm going to play devil's advocate here because we're clearly in the transitory camp. Um, saw an amazing stat. Now, this is straight out of Barron's, read this from Barron's. Um, Joe Carson said in 1979, CPI was 11.5% or well, 11.3% in CPI in 79. Existing homes were up 14%. Okay. Today's CPI is up 5.4%. We just talked about it. Existing homes up 23% year over year. In 1979, um, existing homes were in the way they calculated inflation. Today, existing homes are not in how uh, the government calculates inflation. Uh, Now we actually use rent, like you said, and rents are up 2.3%. So you know, I'm not a big conspiracy guy. Um, I don't think, <laughs> but um, you know, this, that was interesting when I read that in Barron's, and that's um, a, an interesting take. I mean, Jeff, it's probably maybe the first time you heard it, unless you read it. I, I don't know. I'm not saying government's playing games. I mean, maybe you could say there's a little more inflation in what the numbers say. I think most of us might might agree there, but but not massive. And again, I think it's coming back to trend. Um, what do you think of those numbers that Joe Carson pointed out in Barron's? Yeah, that that's why you don't want to put too much uh, weight on that. Mm-hmm. homeowners equivalent rent yep. statistic um, where they're basically trying to 
you know, figure out what you would get if you rented the house that you own, which is really not an easy thing to figure out in the national statistics. So, yeah, so that's why the, the Fed uses, you know, core PCE, which does not have as much of that in it. Uh, personal consumption expenditures, uh, inflation index, and, uh, you know, that's still, you know, hot, but not um, not out of control and, and kind of telling the same story. So uh, yeah. personally, I don't think we're going to get any change in tune from Powell. I think it's, we're going to start to see uh, evidence of slower inflation after we get through this period where the year over year price changes are inflated by the lockdowns of last year. Um, and then you'll, you know, hopefully over the next several months, resolve some of these um, material shortages, and that might help bring prices down uh, as well. You know, semiconductor is certainly a big culprit there. Yeah, and don't forget Janet Yellen is out there fairly saying similar things. It's kind of a two-pronged approach from the Fed and the Treasury. So that's interesting. So what the Fed's trying to do is trying to guesstimate to the best ability what your house would be worth if you were renting it. So think about that. What if... Um, you had to stay in the house. Would someone rent it now? Would just to live with Ryan Dietrich or Jeff Bookbinder? I don't know. I think that's like a, I think it's negative, but you know, maybe you can live with like Michael Jordan or LeBron or somebody. Maybe, maybe then you want to, you want to stay in there. I don't know. It's kind of funny. Anyway. Okay. Um, didn't, didn't realize that. All right. So I, we shared this before and we are a ways away from the first rate hike. So I'm not trying to, you know, say anything other than just pointing out some facts here. But, you know, let's say a little more inflation. Let's say there's a sooner rate hike than maybe we think, which, again, is probably at least another year away, uh, earliest in our opinion. But, um, you know, we've talked before. If you look at the last several first rate hikes in a cycle, December of 2015, June of 2004, June of, two, of 99, March of 97, February of 94, May of 88, and then April of 87, Six months later, S&P is lower only once, up about 7% on average. 12 months later, higher every single time, other than 87. Of course, 87, some, you know, the market was really, that rubber band was stretched very far, but you almost get about a 10% return on average um, a year later after you have the first rate hike. So again, we're not minimizing it, but again, we're going to hear, oh my goodness, the first rate hike might be coming sooner. And it could be, you know, honestly, it could be. But this is just a good way. We call this market signals for a reason. The signals of the market say, listen, the first rate hike usually is early in a cycle. Usually means the economy's young, the economy's expanding, it can withstand. It's when you get a little too far into the cycle and the Fed has to choke off growth to kill inflation. We don't think we're there yet. So anyway, all right. So Jeff, um, this is shocking to me. As a Chiefs fan, I heard you know where this is going now. Travis Kelsey, the whole time, you're one of the world's biggest Chief fans. My favorite story is when your brother got lost for like a day after they won the Super Bowl in that big sea of red. They had a big celebration in Kansas City. Um, how do you pronounce Travis Kelsey's last name? I can't believe we've been pronouncing it wrong the whole time. What did he say it is? Oh, I, I've always pronounced it Kelsey. I didn't know that was wrong. Okay, no, he was in the news last week. He calls it Kells. Apparently it's Kells. Like I, I was shocked. And even, even, um, that's oh news goodness. to me. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, this is, this is, this is about as, this is the problem when you do live stuff. Uh, Pat Mahomes, I can't believe I just forgot Patrick Mahomes' name. Anyway, Patrick Mahomes, like on Twitter, saying, You're kidding me. He like said, No, it's like Kells. Like apparently, is, everyone's been saying his last name wrong. And I guess it started, I think he went to University of Cincinnati, I'm pretty sure, where I used to live. Um, and I guess they started it in like the media guide. They, they, explain how to pronounce everyone's last names and had it wrong. And he said, it just stuck with it ever since, but apparently one of the best tight ends in football, maybe you could argue history. We've been saying his name wrong. 
this whole time. Anyway, enough about that. Jeff, we've only got a couple of minutes left. Um, let's wind it down here. Um, you know, the one thing last week that caught our attention, retail sales came in a little bit better than expected. Honestly, a majority of the, the, the overall economic data continues to be strong, continues to suggest um, pretty solid growth here. You know, Jeff, let's touch on, though, what happened yesterday, which was Monday. So a pretty big... Um, Pretty big sell-off, right? Uh, equities down close to 2% across the board. Energy really, really got hit hard as crude oil was down, I think, 6 7 8% approximately, somewhere around there. Um, is this the start of the summer swoon or bigger picture? What, what, do you, what do you think? I mean, equity markets, earnings are good, economy looks strong, but markets all of a sudden are, I don't know, I hate to say cracky, maybe showing some cracks. Well, what's your take on the action on Monday? Yeah, painful day, no, no doubt, but... Um... Probably overdue. Um, you know, we haven't had too many big down days in the last few months, first and foremost. Did you know, Ryan, we haven't had a 5% pullback since October of last right. year. So that's just long. You know, we average three to four pullbacks a year uh, and one correction of 10% or, or more. So, uh, and this is a seasonally weak period. So all those things seem seemingly are lining up for uh, a little bit of bumpiness um, and certainly, um, Yesterday was a little bit bigger bump than we'd like, but um, it, it's, you know, we, we wouldn't interpret yesterday's move and the move in yields as a signal that this economy is cracking. Maybe there's some things under the surface within the markets that are weakening, but the economy we think is still in uh, good shape. These are really um, sort of temporary technical factors related to the fact that we've come so far so fast uh, with, uh, I mean, S&P almost doubled off the lows right. here before this uh, recent dip. And I think on total return basis, it did, or like you said, very, very close on a total return basis to doubling. So, hey, I remember Scott came on a couple of weeks ago. Scott's our head technician here on the team. And he pointed out just some technical factors that, listen, market's making new highs. Not as many stocks are making 52-week highs. Not as many stocks are making three-month highs. Not as many stocks are making one-month highs. It's not end-of-world stuff, but those are some warning signs with the fact, hey, it is what it is. We're in the third quarter, August, September. We saw a 9.6 or 9.4% correction last September, right? You tend to get this volatility for whatever reason, August, September, um, you know, late, late, late uh, July as well. So all of the calendar with some potential weakening technicals, those are some things to say, hey, you know what? We might get a chance to buy things a little bit cheaper. Remember, we were up 15, 16%, made 39 new highs on the S&P 500 already at like, you know, halfway through July. Um, so, you know, we've been pretty spoiled. Like I said, I'm at a 5% correction in a long time. By the time most people listen to this, go to lplresearch.com on Wednesday. I'm going to do a blog that takes a look at just that. You know, 5% corrections, how often they happen, 10% corrections, how often they happen. And are we are we due for one? You know, spoiler alert, yeah, we're, we're due for one. Doesn't mean it has to happen, but we are. When you look at small caps down close to 10% and a lot of other areas have been beaten up a lot more than um than um than, than you know the indices, the, the big major ones we look at, SP and Dow. There's some some, like Scott said a few weeks ago, just some some little worries under the surface. Um Jeff, this week, and listen, I know we, you and I have got a meeting actually coming up soon, so we got to wrap this up. This week, what's on your attention span the next couple of days this week? What should people be paying attention to? Yeah, earnings, earnings, and more earnings. Uh, th this is where we broaden out and get beyond the financials. So I'm really interested in hearing what companies have to say about their outlooks. We really haven't gotten too much uh, other than the banks so far, so it's really too early to draw any conclusions, but um, uh, certainly we would expect mostly good news for companies to mostly manage these cost pressures uh, pretty well and give pretty optimistic um, near-term outlooks. But beyond that, I mean, the economic calendar, it's pretty quiet. Um, some, some housing data, uh, manufacturing surveys at the end of the week 
the sort of secondary manufacturing surveys might be of interest, but generally it's about uh, companies' bottom lines this week. No, absolutely. Speaking of like vacations and, and low, not a lot going on, I'm going to be on vacation next week, so I will not be on the podcast, but Jeff will be here with a mystery guest. And uh, whoever that is, we'll see whoever Jeff picks on the team to join him, but we'll continue to do the podcast. And one of the cool things about, you know, my role as a chief market strategist, you have to go on TV once in a while. And I've actually, I've been bumped by like the last couple presidents, right? I've been bumped for different things. Jeff, as you might know, but I want everyone out there to know, last Friday, I was on Yahoo Finance directly before I was on. Marky Mark, Mark Wahlberg was on me. So you could argue I shared time with Marky Mark on the YouTube channel. I've got a picture of Marky Mark and the... Um, Funky Bunch with my face superimposed to the best that I can do on one of them. So that way, just in case we ever know what it's like if I was in the, uh, the in his musical group. Jeff, do I look like I should be in that group looking at that picture on YouTube? What, what's your take? <laughs> you fit right in, Ryan. No, no doubt. Look, look, look really good. Uh, like you got some serious dance moves. Yeah. And you, by the way, so my back's a lot better. We were talking about my back. I mean, I, I mean, I was in pain for two months. Like I had a herniated disc, I think two herniated discs actually doing all the exercises. My back is really good, but that doesn't mean I'm just going to start trying to do some dance moves. My doctor and my chiropractor honestly brought me back. Um, they said, you know, be, be careful. And believe me, I'm going to be careful. So no, um, no dance moves out of me quite, quite yet. So with all that, everybody, thanks uh, for being here again. Thanks, Jeff, for fun conversation. Hopefully you guys got a lot out of it. You know, give us a like, give us a follow, give us a positive review if you can. It goes a long way. Um, you know, thanks to Neil, as always, for um, helping us through, getting this, getting this published in a timely, professional manner, because we, we need the help a lot of times, and then it means a lot. So everybody, thanks again. Jeff will be back next week, and um, everyone have a, hopefully, a vacation, right? Hopefully, you've already had one. I was saying, like, down here in South Carolina, school starts in less than a month, so we're trying to cram as much as we can in here before uh, before school starts back up. So with that, everybody, we'll see, uh, see you next week, or I'll see you in two weeks. Jeff, see you next week. Bye-bye, everybody. Thank you. This material was provided by LPL Financial is for general information only and is not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. There is no assurance that the views or strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. Investing involves risks, including possible loss of principal. Any economic forecasts set forth in the podcast may not develop as predicted and are subject to change. References to markets, asset classes, and sectors are generally regarding the corresponding market index. All index are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Index performance is not indicative of the performance of any investment. All performance reference is historical and it's no guarantee of future results. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and broker dealer. Member FINRA and SIPC insurance products are offered through LPL or its licensed affiliate. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered investment advisor that is not an LPL affiliate, please note LPL makes no representation with respect to such entity. If your financial professional is located at a bank or credit union, please note that the bank or credit union is not registered as a broker dealer or investment advisor. These products and services are being offered through LPL or its affiliates which are separate entities from and not affiliates of the bank or credit union. Securities and insurance offered through LPL or its affiliates are not insured by the FDIC or NCUA or any government agency. Not bank or credit union guaranteed, not bank or credit union deposits or obligations and may lose value.